Hey friends, and welcome to Doable Discipleship, the Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith, or as we love to call it, the show that helps you grow. I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, Linda Tokar. Linda, how are you doing today? I'm awesome. It's so good to be back. <laughs> I know that it, it is, and I know that you're awesome because we just finished uh, in, uh, an awesome interview with somebody who um, is, is really... Special for Saddleback. It's somebody who who we have heard a whole bunch. We have read all of his work. We have you know, all this, and it was just great to have the conversation with Dr. Um, Ed Stetzer. So uh, mm-hmm. let me just share a little bit about Ed. In case you are unfamiliar with Ed, is the professor and dean at Wheaton College. He is the executive director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton. He's authored hundreds of articles, a dozen books. He's the editor-in-chief of Outreach Magazine, the founding editor of The Gospel Project. He has a national radio show called Ed Stetzer Live that airs on Saturdays, and he serves as a teaching pastor at Highland Church, and he's just finished up an interim pastor um, stint, which which he talks about um, in our interview. And I, you can find everything Ed-related at um, edstetzer.com, including his Stetzer Leadership Podcast, um, which... Uh, uh, goes out as well. So we are excited to be joined by Ed to talk about basically eight, basically what is the state of the church. We talk about some data, talk about some research, we talk about some trends, talk about all different things that are related to the church and discipleship. It was a really full conversation. And uh, so let's uh, join um, our conversation with Ed Setzer. And thank you so much for joining us today. I, we really appreciate it. I wanted to start by talking about a recent piece that you wrote for Outreach Magazine. I was talking about three trends that are shaping the post-pandemic church. And for our listeners at home, I just wanted to briefly mention what those were. The first one was the great sort, which isn't really pandemic related specifically, but it's more of a, it's just something that's happening that is shaping the church as we're experiencing it today. And then you talked about layers of engagement, which is it's talking about how people in the front row are kind of being more engaged, whereas people in the back row might be becoming less engaged as respected to um, engagement within the church. And then you talked about the American cultural convulsion, which is just this fracturing of social trust in our country that has led to what some of are calling this time the cold civil war. And so there's just a lot going on with these three trends. But I wanted to kind of bring this back up to you and just kind of say it's been a number of months since that article came out so what are you seeing now what is the state of the church as you see it as we're stepping into this new year is there things that we can be encouraged to buy maybe things that we should be concerned about maybe a little bit of both what are we talking about here yeah i think it's i think it's um it's more of the same with, um, and we should probably just unpack a little bit of that because, um, I mean, we're still finding ourselves fracturing. And mm-hmm. um, I think this is, uh, you know, you mentioned it's, it's not about COVID, but it's sort of COVID becomes a part of it. So where yeah. um, people are, you know, leaving churches over, you know, when I was at Saddleback last, I preached on this, yeah. um, not I preached a text, but it illustrated using this, that um, 30% of pastors said that the, uh, pastors estimated that about 30% of the new people coming to their church were coming because they disagreed with their last church's approach mm-hmm. to COVID. And um, it's fascinating to me. I mean, so you think about somebody, you know, at Saddleback who maybe has been there for 30 years and 
uh, has been pastored and nurtured and all those things. And then, well, I disagree about this, so I'm leaving over this. But yeah. what's happened is, is that these things have become uh, ideological litmus tests. And, uh, you know, I'm just thankful for pastors and churches that wanted to love people and serve people and figure mm-hmm. out how best to make it through. And some people did it differently than I might have done it. But um, but we find, if you think about just 20, now we're in 2022, I'm feeling 22. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in 20 and 21, it was, it was COVID, but then it was um, disagreements how best to deal with race, uh, yeah. disagreements mm-hmm. about politics. Um, I mean, it, it's it's a time unlike any other uh, in my lifetime. Now, if you yeah. go back to the 60s, I think mm-hmm. it would feel kind of a lot more like what we're dealing with today. Um, and so, we, which is both discouraging and encouraging because, you know, the, of course, the 60s ended, we got the 70s and we got disco. So let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, but, but at the same time, you know, there are movements that birthed uh, to the Jesus people movement in particular that, mm-hmm. that, you know, you go a little bit later, a generation, a decade away, shaped your church, Saddleback, and so yeah. many others. So, but it's a hard time. It's a hard time to be a pastor or leader, and it's a hard time for discipleship. But I think since this is a discipleship podcast, I think we need to be honest that one of the things that 2020 and 2021 taught us is that people are far more discipled by their cable news choices and Mm -hmm. far more discipled by their social media than by the church and the gospel. Now, um, we, we see that because that's what the primary tribal identities have become. So it's not we all love Jesus. We love the word of God. We're growing in the power of the Holy Spirit and we differ on some things. No, no. It's if you differ on some things, then you are wrong. You must be crushed, whatever else it may be. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I do think that we're continuing to see that. And I think the question is, you know, there's a, there's a book, hold on, hold on. Just, you know, yeah. you're, we're, you're listeners. I'm just leaning over to get my book. So just let me get my book. <laughs> But I, I haven't read it yet, but I really like the title. It's called, uh, it's by Michael Horton, who's kind of a reformed theologian. He's a professor of systematic theology at Westminster Seminary in California. Mm-hmm. And the title of his book is Recovering Our Sanity. And mm-hmm. I think that's a great title. And it's how the fear of God conquers the fears that divide us. And I think ultimately, um, mm-hmm. what I wish for Saddleback, what I wish for every church, I recognize people listen far beyond Saddleback. Yeah. What I wish for every church is that the awe of the Lord, of his mm-hmm. redemptive power, of the fact that I was dead in my trespasses and sins with others, and he made us new in Christ, binds us together far more than any ideological issue of the day. We may differ on some things, but king jesus we have in common and i think we need to to quote the book title i think we need to recover our sanity and i think discipleship is a big part of that i think there are things that we need to be discipled into people in the Mm -hmm. word of god and there are things that need to be discipled out of i mean that's what discipleship is it is a process of growing in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ and i think the big lesson of 2020 and 2021 is our discipleship was far too often blown away by ideological concerns and mm-hmm. we've got to rediscover the Eugene Peterson called it long obedience in the same direction yeah. of long-term disciple making patterns relationships groups and more well I I, I think that's a I think that's a, a great point is it's talking about like if you look at your Twitter handle it may say you know follower of God it may say I'm a disciple of Jesus, all that stuff. So it may, but is the stuff that you are putting out there <laughs> on Twitter, is the stuff that you are tweeting a mark of that, or is it a regurgitation of what you heard on that morning talk show or what you heard, you know? So it's yeah. getting back to that 
you may think in, and call yourself this, but if you actually look at the words that are coming out of your mouth, if you actually look at the deeds or your motivations of your heart, then it's really showing you where your input is coming from. Are you really a disciple of Christ or are you being a, a disciple of your favorite, you know, a blog or whatever yeah. it is? Yeah. No question. And I think, I think that I think we have been exposed and the exposure mm-hmm. is clear and evident that we have to address some of these issues. And I, I think it should grieve us in part. I think it should, mm-hmm. maybe it's, sh- maybe it shouldn't surprise us. It surprised me just how much, you know, I'm, I'm not just an evangelical, but I'm kind of on the conservative evangelical side. I, you know, talk about the inerrancy of the Bible. I'm primarily driven by evangelistic and missiological concerns, reaching people for Jesus. And so, you know, I just see people just swept up. And Mm -hmm. right now you mentioned the great sort earlier Mm -hmm. is people are sorting themselves, often leaving churches, leaving their social groups. They're sorting themselves into churches that they find ideologically align with them more. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's a shame. I really, I think it's a good thing when people who have different views on maybe the best way to accomplish certain biblical ideas, um, gather together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But, and that's what discipleship should be yeah. teaching us, but I don't think it often is. It's a great, great insight. Um, you know, speaking of, you know, the pandemic didn't cause the things you wrote about, but it did right. change some things with respect to the church. Sure. And in preparation for this interview, I, I love research like you do. And so I was in all of the studies. And so I looked up Lifeway. They had some really interesting statistics on kind of the effects and coming out of the pandemic. And on some things like engagement with an online service, there were statistics that said like 45% of Americans had watched a Christian church service during COVID and many had never watched an online service before. So that introduced them to a new way to engage that maybe they never had, had done before. And then there were other things like individual discipleship practices for a lot of people increased, but then their engagement with other believers decrease. So there was, it seemed like a mixed bag, honestly, what has come out of it. So between, I know you interim pastor all over the place, and then I know you talk to church leaders frequently. So what are you guys seeing and hearing when it comes to where people are right now? Well, we, we, we have seen that, um, that people have not come back at the level that I think, uh, and of course we're not, we're not, you know, I don't know when your podcast releases, but I mean, we're not in, we're not done yet. I mean, most people say we're not done yet. So even people, you know, there's some people, you know, I I joke, you know, I live in Illinois, which currently has an indoor mask mandate. And I go speak in Texas where they didn't participate in the pandemic and they're kissing each other on the mouth. So (laughs) I recognize that people are like, no, we're done here. Okay, I get it. But for some people, they're still a hesitation. So we find Mm -hmm. that, um, and where you are, depends on where you are. I've been the interim pastor of a church in New York City. I'm just finishing it up. Been there for uh, a year and a half. And it's very uh, slow to come back. Um, Mm -hmm. We still have major churches in New York City that aren't meeting. They're still online, and which I think is jarring to some people from you know from maybe Florida. But um, but part of the reason is is people have a high some, some people might have a higher level of concern, and so you might have people in your church who have asthma or maybe their child's struggling with leukemia, and and so so you you see that people haven't come back, and you know its percentages are different across the country, but they've come back at a lower level. Sometimes just a few percentage points, but in some places it's half. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So now that has created an opportunity for online and we have seen a, a positive engagement, which I think is a good thing. I think we have to be careful because I think, um, online engagement is a tool, not the goal, the goal right. in, in, you know, for our conversation today, but there's more than this, but the goal for our conversation today is people to grow as disciples. Um, now I think online can be a tool for that. I, I, you know, particularly early on when we had the national shutdown, I mean, online is what we had. So, so I, I think we want to be careful though, because what we need is people in relationships. True discipleship happens mm-hmm. in community and that requires feet and faces, not just electrons and avatars. Uh, recognizing there may be times and seasons where that's you know challenging or whatever else it may be. So, but I think for us, the uh, you know even the statistics you cited, there are more people engaging online. So now, if um, if Easter, how how far I'm getting, how far out do we record this podcast? How far out do you release this podcast? This one will go out the second week of February. Okay, great. Okay, so yeah. if Easter is still on a positive trajectory where, you know, Omicron's declining and whatever it may be, but you know, we don't, we're the, cause, cause keep in mind that I, I recorded a podcast last July that they released in September and it was just totally, exactly. So, uh, so, but let me just say that I think Easter could be a key evangelistic moment in a way that, you know, I preached this out about a few years ago about uh, Easter everywhere. You know, it's like, this could be the place because we had these, you know, dispersed communities. Well, this could be a unique time. I just don't think we're ever going to be at a place where online is not a part of our evangelistic opportunity and our discipleship opportunity. And I'm glad that's the case. I just don't want it to be. And I think people are engaging at a higher level. You know, my, my dad is, you know, I mean, my dad's not, you know, young, whippersnapper. Um, but you know, my dad's zooming into meetings. So I think those things speak to the fact that that's not going away. Churches should strategize and Mm -hmm. include that even at a higher level, maybe they have, but remember it's a tool, not the goal. We want the goal is to get people in life altering community of disciple making contexts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so that kind of works perfectly with the next question that I had it was just kind of this I was looking at this a connection or at least what seems to me to be a connection between people who are noting that they are practicing religion less with people who are saying that they have a different religious identity right in, in the last 14 years it's it, it, the US has gone from and 78% of adults who identified as Christian down to 63%. Yeah. And you're seeing these declines too in people who say that they pray every day or people who say that religion is important in their lives. So yeah. I'm just wondering as we're even as we're focused on a, a discipleship perspective, is this more of that back row? a problem that you're talking about or is there something else at play here that um is it's just kind of speaking to where people are at in their yeah. discipleship yeah it's a good question i think it is a discipleship issue so the percent just to add a few statistics since yeah, since please. we're all loving the stats here um, I love it, yes. the, <laughs> um the um you know the percentage of people who say they're born again has actually grown going up every year so you got mm-hmm. more people saying they're born again mm-hmm. um and and what's what seems to be happening is there's a uh, there's a decline in self-identified Christian uh, well I, I, identifying yourself as a Christian there's a decline in that mm-hmm. uh, and simultaneously the percentage of people 
who regularly attend churches remain relatively steady. Uh, yeah. What's mm-hmm. gone down is people who identify as church members. So all of the loose bonds mm-hmm. of religiosity are mm-hmm. declining, and I think people are getting more honest about their own lack of religion. They say, well, you know, I don't think it, I don't think it says, I mean, the Bernie Sanders, um, uh, I don't want to freak anybody out by talking about politicians. Bernie, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, you're Bernie Sanders' candidacy is the first time in history that a major party candidate came within, you know, just close to getting yeah. the nomination who identifies as secular, who, mm-hmm. who, uh, who, who does not say that he, I don't, he doesn't wear the atheist describe himself, but he, he identifies as secular. So, yeah. 30 years ago, that would be an inconceivable thing. So being an irreligious person is no longer the social stigma that it once was. And I think people are now acknowledging that. Um, And, and as such there be, people are getting honest. And so, so a big Mm. part of that now, again, don't misunderstand. There is decline. There is decline. I'm saying that it's not 79 to 63% Christian. The reality is uh, we don't really believe that and this is the weird thing i try to explain this to reporters all the time and they just think it's weird uh, people listening to this call don't really believe that 63 percent of americans are christian we think that a whole lot of people who call themselves christians actually are using the term in a way that as born again evangelicals we would not use mm-hmm. so it's kind of hard um to to explain that to people yeah one religious reporter we said so wait a second uh you're you're saying that they say you're on your team they use the name to describe themselves, but you don't think they're on the team. And I, well, I mean, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so that's the, that's, that's a little but weird. But if we get into the nitty gritty of it, you yeah. really see that. Well, Jesus, is a little different. <laughs> yep. Jesus had a conversation with some people that sounded a lot like that. They hey, did, he did indeed. He you know, indeed. but we were on your team and we did all the things. And he's like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I've I never seen you before. You. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh. Depart from me. I never knew you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I would say is um, when it comes to discipleship, I think, there's more than one thing going on, but but I do think what's happening as it becomes harder to be a Christian in culture, people are going to be more committed to being a Christian if they are. There's a social cost mm. that has grown with being a Christian. I mean, just just kind of um, you know, again, you can all edit out the stuff you don't want to use it, no. but just think of Rick Warren and his perception in the public in the last 30 years, right? So mm-hmm. praying in a presidential inauguration, great to, wow, that was controversial to praying in a presidential <laughs> inauguration. Right. Now, Rick Warren hasn't changed. So what's changed is it's become more culturally problematic to the cult, to the culture for people to have devout Christian beliefs, particularly around areas that are now outside of the mainstream, things like sexual ethics, things like the uniqueness of Christ, things that are central to the biblical, that are essential in the biblical teaching, but now are out of the cultural mainstream. So I think what we find is we find ourselves on the other side of the cultural divide where 30 years ago, Madeline Murray O'Hare Mm-hmm. Um, was on the other side of the cultural divide. So, you know, that was, depending on your age, she was the most hated woman in America. I think that was a front page of Time Magazine, an atheist. Well, now I think atheists, I mean, atheists are mainstream. What do you got? Bill Maher, you got Ricky Gervais. Yeah. I mean, atheists, I mean, uh, secular Bernie Sanders, they're mainstream, but evangelical Christian beliefs are now seen as extreme by, by many people. So that's a shift. So we're going to have to help people to grow in their resilience in disciple making. They're going to have to be ready to live in a world that was never really our home. Uh, but now we're going to see that it is actually not our home. So, um, yeah. So I think that's a big part of the shift that's taking place. 
I think it, even as you say it, um, I'm a little bit younger than you. And when I was growing up, sort of the world wasn't offended by my Christianity. Yeah, it, yeah. it blended in fine. Yeah. You know, there were there were outlying beliefs, but now it feels like just about everything that's really important to us is offensive to a whole lot of people. And so it just, it does, it makes it harder to stand on what's true for people. It makes it, if, and if they don't have that resilience, if they haven't been taught and for many, they were, they never had to be taught that because there wasn't this, this, um, constant grading against what we believe, you know, having to stand up for it constantly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. And so well, and, and and I think that's you wrote a book that came out a couple of years ago called Christians at Our Best yeah. or uh and I, I think that ties in exactly with what you were saying Linda is that is that yes a lot of the things that we believe are now considered offensive yeah. but also we're in a kind of an age where our, our our culture is almost saying it's okay to be offensive to people in, in, in the way that we speak in the way it's almost like it's, it's, it's encouraged. It's considered to fight back in, in yeah. what I loved about your book and you taught on it at Saddleback. I think we did a whole series on it. We did a series, yeah, a four week series. Was it was, it was about, Hey, uh, we're still called <laughs> to be kind and considerate and yeah. to, and, and to be thoughtful and mindful of our words. And even, and even if you disagree, that doesn't mean that you should be offensive to other people. Yeah. You know, if, if you have a, a, a belief that somebody is inherently offended by it, that's one thing, yeah. but that does not mean it is okay for you to, you know, use words or language or tone or vitriol, whatever yeah. that is offensive to other people. Yeah, people so, aren't getting that message on social media, but I, but I would agree. <laughs> um, I, I think you know the gospel itself. The Bible re- refers to the uh, the gospel as a stumbling block. So people already, yeah. you know, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and in our place. That His death is the substitutionary atonement, and God raised Him from the dead in the third day. And men and women everywhere need to repent, trust Jesus, and follow Him. That's yeah. offensive. Uh, to a whole lot of people. I believe people sure. of no religion and of other religions all need King Jesus. Yeah. Um, so what I would say is if the gospel's offensive, which it is ultimately, uh, <laughs> now now we don't have to we don't have to work go out of our way to be extra yeah. offensive. What, right. what we actually see in the life of Paul, you know, not just Paul, but I could use others, but Paul actually seeks to build bridges mm-hmm. at Pisidian Antioch with the Jew, Jewish people there by going and speaking of the richness of their history at Lystra, talking about nature and the, and the waves and the heart of the ocean, the harvest. And at, um, at, at Athens at Mars Hill, he actually talks about their Epicurean poets and philosophers. Sure. So he's obviously working hard so that not at all. I mean, he, he brings right to the gospel, you know, he's like, and so repent. He called men everywhere to repent. He says in Acts 17, which I love, but um, you can simultaneously acknowledge that the gospel itself is going to be offensive to people who do not see the need for repentance and transformation and work to be a winsome ambassador. And there's a whole chapter in Christians in the age of outrage on being a winsome ambassador. The the book we did at Saddleback, we did in all the small That's groups right. was, That's right. Uh, Christians at their best. That was the kind of yes. the, the Bible study companion guide yeah. to the book Christians in the Age of Outrage. But That's right. there's a chapter in, in Outrage um, called uh, Winsome Ambassadors. And I think that should describe we're representing Jesus and his kingdom in a way that we hope and believe we want to be a winsome way so people might hear and respond to the good news of the gospel. Mm-hmm. 
No, I love that. And just even as you're talking, I'm thinking about just the ministry of Jesus. And I mean, the only people that were really at during his ministry that were really super offended were the religious elite, but the people he brought his message, but they were attracted. I mean, even children were attracted to him. He was winsome. He was people wanted to be around him. So we need to model that. Yeah. And I think, (laughs) I think ultimately, I think a lot of times, you know, because for example, for example, I, I, I really think that, uh, there are biblical things that are out of cultural favor, uh, and I and I and I get it. I I'm, I'm I get why, and I try to graciously say to people, I get why you hear what I say, and and you see this as as wrong, and whatever mm-hmm. else it may be. Um, but I think at the same time, my experience has been when I have a conversation with anybody. I was recently on a on a radio show in uh, New York City. Um, they have WABC. Uh, so, mm-hmm. and it was a rabbi. Uh, me and um, and Aaron Bernard's a pastor in New York City, and mm. called the Rabbi and the Rev. And we we're on this radio show, so I know totally. This is a New York City audience <laughs> so I, now, and it's, it's their number one weekend show. And and mm. I, you know, and I'm I'm from New York. I grew up in New York, so I and you know, this Rabbi was awesome. He's he's like, what about and what about and and I just you know, I, I get why that would be offensive. Here's what Jesus taught, and here's what I believe. And so I I don't think we need to move away. And what we believe in that kind of conversation, it was, you know, it was a 30 minute radio show, but I want to build relationships with people who, are, who don't know the Lord. Um, and, and, and not just, not just as a project, but as a genuine friend. Um, and, and then in the course of that, to tell them the most important thing, the thing that changed my life, the thing that saved my heart, soul, my eternal destiny is a relationship with, with Christ. Now, of course I'm headed to evangelism, but I'm at the Wheaton College, Billy Graham center. So we often <laughs> head to evangelism in those conversations. So as you bring the conversation perfectly towards personal discipleship and relationship yeah. with Jesus, what, what are you seeing as the important elements of discipleship that correlate r- rises in church engagement, claiming religion is important in people's lives, markers of religiosity, like beyond say daily prayer and, and Bible reading, which is something that I think we all agree those, we should be doing those things. What other habits or practices would you recommend as people are seeking to grow in their discipleship? Yeah, I actually think that um, you know the one you said we kind of assume I have to come back to because um, we did I did I spoke at this event a few years ago the Q conference in mm-hmm. Washington D.C. and it was uh, there it was all these you know Q is this fascinating mix of religious leaders like I would be a religious figure and and politics and and education and you know business and I you know pr- uh, at the time President Obama was president and they showed a thing from him and. Um, that he prepared for this, the meeting. And so, um, so they asked me, my, my assignment was how does, how do we help Christians to care about the poor, to be engaged in, mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact thing, but it was something like to be engaged in community impacting things, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's so important to, to your church and mine and, and hopefully to believers uh, all over. And so we did some research because we had this study project called transformational discipleship, um, and which was great. So, but here's what we found: the number one correlative fa- correlative factor to denying self and serving others. I'm not using the exact term, but the number one correlative factor to that was reading the Bible daily. So wow. here I am standing up in front of these, you know, these very smart people, telling them you want people to care for the hurting, have them read the Bible daily. Um, as a matter of fact, there were eight factors of discipleship. We don't have time to unpack them all, but of those eight factors, all of them, the number one thing that correlated with all the other things was actually reading the Bible daily. So there seems to be something about 
And so this is why I would say to all the small discipleship group leaders or discipleship ministry leaders, helping people become spiritual self-feeders is mm. undeniably the most important thing in their personal disciple-making journey. I, I don't think that the Sunday morning message or the weekend message is the primary thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that um, you know, being a member of a church is the primary. I think all those things are good, important, central. Yeah. I mean, marks of a biblical church. But what I would say is, is people who are self-feeders are the thing that helps them to grow. So that's not just mm. prayer, uh, not just Bible studies, excuse me, but that's prayer. I think that's relationships. We need to be in relationships. Well, so the way you asked the question beyond daily prayer and Bible reading, obviously I came back to that. So let me let me sure. add some others that flow out of that. I think serving others. I think mm-hmm. living a life of generosity. I think um, being in community with others. I think, and when, when Tom Rayner and I wrote together Transformational Church, that's what we wanted. We wanted to change the scorecard of the church. So it wasn't just nickels and noses. How many, how many times you go to church and how much do you give? Those are fine, but it's much, much uh, more than that. It's, it's a whole sense of a transformation of our being, caring about the things that Jesus cares about. Mm. Yeah, that's it. And that's definitely something that we want to continue to encourage is, is working through these different habits. So if you, you know, all throughout this podcast is, is, is you're going to be hearing ways to engage with all this stuff. So yeah. that's, that's great. I wanted to kind of bring it back to kind of a personal um, example as we're talking about um whatever a post-pandemic stuff looks like. Yeah. And, and again, we're not quite there yet, but mm-hmm. you know, if it's something that we can hopefully see, you yeah. know, a light at the end of the tunnel here, but you know, is, 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 is we now have two years essentially that we've, you know, spent with different levels of mandates with masks um, with, you know, social distancing, yeah. all this kind you know, of you stuff. Know, people, people in California, Illinois are shaking their heads with us. And then people in like Florida, are like, what are you people talking yeah, about? Exactly. It's, it's exactly. So you are. Skip yeah. the talk. <laughs> exactly. it's different. It's, it's definitely different yeah. where we are. But, but what I'm curious about is what are some ways as we are looking ahead that we can, um, work through this season because we're going to have people who, you know, will experience kind of, a trauma-informed um, um, response out of this time, yeah. whether it's because they lost years of school. If they're in high school in California, they've spent two years either in masks or remote learning, different things yeah. um, and whatnot. So, so what are some ways that you can encourage um, a believers to start thinking, maybe it's thinking a little bit, differently about how we relate to each other about how we talk about this stuff maybe it's changing the communication that we have and being more intentional about talking through the issues i'm just i I wanted to kind of open this up to you and just say what are some ways that we can pursue you know health um of a mental emotional social way uh while still trying to be healthy in a physical way <laughs> well i would say i always want to defer to when you talk about trauma-informed you know i find diane Lam- diane Lang- langbird's work help work work helpful i can't talk right now yeah. <laughs> uh, others as well you know i've got colleagues here at wheaton college in our in our mm. psychology department that i lean on uh what i would say is we we haven't the mental health implications of the last two years will we will take a decade for us to figure it out and it will be mm-hmm. substantive it will be mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Um, it's a big deal and you know again you know it's at the time of this recording where the chicago school district is still mm-hmm. debating whether or not they're going to be in the 
the the teachers union um you know it's 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 heartbreaking and to see the impact i'm so you know, I, I know you have little kids um yeah. jason I, I my kids are, are a little older so but even they you know they they just walked into you know the high school everything at the end of high school is gone all those things it's yeah. just it's just been pretty stunning um so so i think ultimately we one of the phrases i like to use where the church i'm serving as interim right now just finishing yeah. up that interim um is no one gets left behind is that we were we were all in this together we're gonna stay together some of you right now might be um you know in a different place and space about what it looks like to engage the church but we're not done with you and we want to minister to you and love you through that journey so I think ultimately partnering with mental health professionals where there might be situations where there's been substantive um, mental illness, uh, you know, identified. Uh, but, but, but I would say is that uh, pastors are going to have to be loving and patient with at the same time, cause it's weird. Some people are like, we're done. Yeah, let's go on. And some people are like, man, I, I just, I, I haven't recovered. And so I would say a, uh, as discipleship leaders, which is mainly our audience, is that you you want to help your church to to slowly exhort people to engage back into a kind of healthy community that's there mm-hmm. to um to when you see issues that may be mental health related to you know work with your church or or mental health professionals uh, on that journey. But also recognize that this is going to take a while. It's it's there's people say, well, we've had pandemics before. Yeah, actually, it's the response. And again, mm-hmm. you know, pe- when you say this thing to everyone, like, well, why shouldn't we shouldn't have done this? Or that. I know everyone's got an opinion. <laughs> yeah. But regardless of what your opinion is, the response to the pandemic is unlike anything we've done in two thousand years of church history. Uh, there weren't, you know, online options in prior yeah. pandemic for one thing, right? So, um, but the isolation that's there, the mm-hmm. uh, the fact that we shut down things, the fact that many churches shut down for long periods of time, some different, different depending upon where you are. Yeah. So. What I would say is I think it is a wise discipleship leader and pastor who walks with people through a, for some people ready to go forward, some, no one gets left behind. It's a helpful phrase to use. No one gets left behind. How do we help people to engage again in community and recognizing that, you know, we're having a discipleship conversation. This is not just about discipleship, um, but that would be my application in this discipleship conversation. Just taking from then discipleship to your heart language, which is, you know, mission and outreach. One of the things that you say, and I know you say it frequently, is um, the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. And when I heard you say that, you taught, I don't know, it was week three or four of the pandemic, and we had you on video, and I'm in my home and feeling so overwhelmed. Everything was was chaotic. And I just remember, I know you're used to hearing yourself say that, but when I heard it, it was the most peace giving and encouraging thing. And so to that, I just wanted for you to talk about sort of how can we live that out? Because the pandemic didn't change the mission we're on. It changed a lot of stuff, but our mission is still the same. So what do we need to take into account um, as we move forward in our mission? Yeah, I'm glad that video was encouraging. It was uh, a lot of people didn't like it because it was two years ago, and I said this is going to be a long season. I remember, and, uh, and it's going to be the greatest global crisis in your lifetime. And people were so mad at me, and it was like, no, could I partly I just come back from the White House meeting with the Surgeon General. Uh, there were just three of us were meeting about um, the spread of HIV/AIDS in rural mm-hmm. communities, uh, rural religious communities, and he came back from a meeting about um, wasn't called COVID nineteen at the time. I think they called the Wuhan virus at the time. Yeah. And he said uh, to me and the head of the Church of God in Christ and the head of the NAE, there were the three of us, he said, um, 
this is going to be the greatest, you know, biggest deal in your lifetime more in the churches. And so I went home and did, but I think part of what for, and I'm trying to remember, I think a couple hundred thousand people have actually watched the video over the, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the pandemic is part of it. I wanted to say to people, um, this could be art. Um, and simultaneously, this is not surprising to the Lord. Um, yeah. Jesus is still on a mission historically. I mean, if you, you know, by the time we've now we're two years into the pandemic, plus every pastor or church leader has done some sermon or Bible study referencing a past plague. If you haven't by now, you're, you're, you're just not done well. <laughs> I haven't quoted Eusebius or John Calvin in Geneva or something. Um, because these are times when the church steps up, st- stands out, stands in the gap, shows and shares the love of Jesus. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't know how bad it would be or not be. Um, you know, it was a pretty stunning thing that uh, then President Trump shut down the country for two weeks. I missed two weeks to stop the spread and then for extended it for another right. month. I mean, that's a stunning, stunning and uh, shift. But the severity, you know, was unknown at that time. Well, I think if it was much worse, I mean, you know, for 2000 years, people have gone through much worse than we've gone through. This is hard. And this has been the hardest year I've ever led. Um, you know, I just came, I just got COVID, um, mm-hmm. had COVID for, you know, seven days, low fever. I was no, it was no fun. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't, didn't feel in danger or anything of that sort. But, um, but I would say that in the midst of this, why would we be among the people who think we're the only people who wouldn't struggle? I mean, it is normal to have, for 2000 years of Christian history, it is normal to have disease and, and t- cultural turbulence. This is the normal expression of things. So the same Holy spirit who worked in God's people for 2000 years, or the same Holy spirit, you know, who, who, you know, would put angels even who would say most common words, fear not. I think yeah. that's what we needed to say. We don't need to be afraid. The moment we're in doesn't pause the mission we're on. The Lord will take care of us in the midst of this. I still believe that. I think as churches have sort of reset, most of them have reset at a lower level. Uh, and sometimes that's concerned. What's interesting is finances have in many churches stayed the same or gone up. Yeah. We've, we've lost a lot of the nominal people. Mm-hmm. Well, that saddens me. Let's 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 make sure that we even in the midst of the cultural tumult and turbulence, which is probably isn't going to stop when the, when the pandemic does. I mean, these kind of cultural convulsions, I called it, they tend to last four to six years. So we're a couple of years mm-hmm. in, um, we've got to build reservoirs of resilience to push through for the next few years, faithfully trusting Jesus, joining Jesus on his mission, and ultimately being those who, again, who stand up, stand out and stand in the gap in a really challenging time that I don't think ends when the pandemic ends. Yeah, that, that's that's great. Well, Ed, I, I want to be mindful of your time. Thank you so much. I, I just you. wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about stuff that you've been working on. I know that you've been working on in a book. And so what are some things that we can look forward to uh, from Ed Stetzer? Yeah. Um, well, the we are uh, I'm, I'm three years behind on a book on the current state and future <laughs> prospects of evangelical churches and so uh i don't know uh the most recent book is christians in the age of outrage the one i did the series at saddleback on yeah. um i am i'm kind of glad i didn't write a book on the future of mm-hmm. evangelicalism uh sure. at three years ago because i think i have different thoughts different and views perspective now, now, but yeah. still trying to trying to work through what that ultimately uh, what that ultimately looks like but yeah it's um 
So, you know, as always, people can find my stuff at edstetzer.com um, yep. with a Z and it links to all the different places where I write and speak, that kind of stuff. That's perfect. And in the show notes, we'll have the links to, to all that stuff too. So Ed, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you for your ministry, for how you love on church leaders, churches. We we deeply appreciate it. Thanks thank for your time, you. Ed. God bless. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events lastly you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com send us your thoughts send us your questions your bible questions your life questions whatever who knows your question might just inspire an upcoming episode thanks again for tuning in to doable discipleship i'm jason whelan and i hope you'll join us again next week